Hello, everyone. I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. I'm Mari Forth. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. We'd love it if you would subscribe to our feed. Please go to robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed. You'll get your true crime on Tuesdays, as well as helping to keep this program going. If you've already subscribed, thank you very much. It makes a big difference. And before we get to the episode, we have a crime update today. This concerns the multiple murders of Madison Mogan, Zana Canodal, Kaylee Gonsalves, and Ethan Chapin in Moscow, Idaho, in November last year. Police arrested Brian Koberger uh, roughly six weeks after the fatal stabbings. Many people will know that. They used DNA evidence left on a ninth sheaf at the scene to link him to the crime. And now uh, News Nation has reported that police believe they have evidence connecting Coburger to alleged cyberstalking of someone from the residence where the four University of Idaho students were killed. An ID connected to someone from the home was found during one of the searches of Coburger's residences. So that's a big step forward in another connection of BK to these crimes. He has not yet entered a plea. He won't do that until June. Mike from that chapter has a great follow-up to his earlier YouTube video on this horrible crime, and we'll link to that new video in the show notes. You can also follow Laura Richards at The Crime Analyst. Uh, She has very thoughtful material on this and many of the cases that make the news, and many that don't. She's a great follow. As a side note, the state of Idaho passed a bill on March 20th allowing execution by firing squad for capital punishment. Uh, This is in response to a nationwide shortage of the drugs used in lethal injection. And I will leave that there. Sarah, what did we watch this week? What did we watch this week? (laughs) We watched Jared from Subway Catching a Monster. It's a three-part docuseries on ID Discovery. It was directed by Sam Miller, who's previously directed episodes of Rich and Shameless, Till Death Us Do Part, and Forbidden Dying for Love. So Mm. nobody died in this one, but various other crimes happened. We can't switch on our secret recording devices without our incredible guest, pop culture commentator, name that tune contestant, morning chocolate eater, and one half of Mark and Sarah talk about songs with Crime Scene's own official, unofficial third chair, Sarah D. Bunting. It's only Mark Blankenship. Mark, welcome to the scene. Well, thank you so much. I I'm delighted that you saw my recent tweet about how important it is to me to have a little bit of chocolate in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Essential, I think you called it. Yes. I I can't really start my day without it at this point. Very Mm. nice. So, Mark, why don't you tell the listeners your true crime origin story? How did you get into it? What do you get out of it? What do you like? Great. Uh, So I am a longtime live theater nerd. I have not Mm -hmm. one but two degrees in the theater arts. And when I was a college student, I was in love with a play called Machinal by a journalist and playwright named Sophie Treadwell. It was uh, published in 1928. Oh, you know the play. Wonderful. It's on my shelf just over there. Oh, fabulous. (laughs) So at the time, I uh, did not know that Machinal was based on the true story of Ruth Snyder, a woman who was famously executed and her, the photo of her execution was this big deal. And she was known as the sash weight killer and uh, learning about the true crime that inspired this really wonderful, inventive, uh, fascinating play led me into a deeper uh, appreciation of true crime as a genre. And that led me to In Cold Blood and all of these other properties that just kept drawing me in. And now I find myself, though not exclusively interested in true crime, consistently interested in true crime. I have a particular fascination for cults. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess that's just like a lot of other people, but I just, I, I really get into cult stories. They're fascinating to me, but I also just think that a good true crime story is uh, hard to beat. And I am always on the lookout for one. 
Wow, that's fascinating. I had to do like a quick, I'm like <laughs> over here Googling furiously and I, I have something to uh, look into after we're done. Yes, well, I would highly recommend, Mari, both the play by Sophie Treadwell and the deeper story uh, about the real case because they're both just such a fascinating exploration of what it means or what it meant to be a woman in 1920s America. And there are a lot of things I think that haven't really changed because what the play does especially is portray the psychological landscape of a woman who is basically being undone by the strictures that society places on her. And it raises the question of, did this crime get committed because it was the only way that this woman had to express what was going on in her mind. And uh, it's just deliciously realized. And then the story about the case, the real case, and how it plays out with uh, regard to how women were depicted in the media at the time. It has so much resonance with questions that we're still asking. And I guess, actually, I've sort of stumbled into another reason I love true crime, because when you really get down to it, Crimes that fascinate us uh, are often pathways to other things in the culture that define us, even if we realize it or we don't. And there's Mm. something about a crime that unlocks something primal in our culture that I find so instructive. It teaches us so much about what we actually believe, feel and do, even if we don't want to talk about it or don't quite have the language for it. The the primal nature of a crime can... uh, provide us a framework for something that we don't often know how to discuss. So that's why wow. I keep coming back to true crime, frankly. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I read uh, crime, crime novels uh, and oh God, it's too. fascinating <laughs> that I think often the writer wants to talk about a particular social situation or an idea they have. And a crime is such a great way in. They don't have to write a preachy book about how it's really bad to uh, traffic people for sexual uh, things, but they can write a thriller about somebody tracking down a sex trafficker and open up that world to you or that place. I remember when I went to Edinburgh, I thought, oh, I'm I'm right here. You know, it's like you you feel like you know a place or you know a theme. Yeah, so I'm a great believer right from Agatha Christie all the way through. I read those when I was far too young probably, which is part of my origin story. Uh, Before we get to the... Sorry, Mari. No, I just, uh, I'm, I just said, wow, literally, that's all I was going to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, before we get to the crime, the documentary and our discussion in part, we'll talk about child sexual abuse. And if that's not for you today, you can hop off and be ashamed. We'll miss you, but we'll see you next time. Either way, we'd like to give you some resources, which we will also link in the show notes. In Australia, you can call 1-800-RESPECT, that's 1-800-737-732, or the website is 1-800-RESPECT.org.au, that is for sexual, domestic and family violence. And there is also the National Redress Scheme on 1-800-737-377 or nationalredress.gov.au, that's for information, support and to make an application if you have experienced institutional child sex abuse in Australia and you can apply until the end of June 2027. Of course, if you are in immediate danger, call triple zero. Mari? And in the U.S., you can call the 24-7 Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline at 1-800-4-A-CHILD or 1-800-422-4453 or go to www.childhelp.org for more resources on child abuse treatment and prevention. So to the crime. Jared Fogel became the spokesman for Subway Sandwiches after losing 111 kilos, apparently that's 245 of your pounds, (laughs) between 1998 and 1999 on a diet he invented which involved eating Subway Sandwiches somehow. I didn't want to look into it because I thought it was stupid. Uh, The first allegations... (laughs) The first allegations of inappropriate relations with minors, very sanitized way of saying it, came in 2007, but it was not until 2015 that he was charged when the FBI uncovered that he had received child pornography. He pled guilty to child sex tourism and child pornography charges and was sentenced to 15 years and eight months in federal prison that year. That was 2015. 
And although Fogel potentially faces state charges of statutory rape in New York for his abuse of victim 13 and victim 14, he is unlikely to be charged. Mm. Mark, you brought us this property. (laughs) I'm trying to keep the accusation out of my voice. What caught your eye about it? What was it that you wanted to, why was it that you wanted to watch it, I suppose, is my question. Well, I was curious to see how a documentary would approach a crime or series of crimes that is so grotesque and was wondering how this particular story could be framed across three episodes and was uh, curious to see if it would feel exploitative or if there might be something thoughtful to be unearthed in its approach to the narrative. And I, I guess I... I think about that in relationship to uh, my experience watching Surviving R. Kelly, which I just mm. found to be such a powerful. I, I don't actually know how either one of you feel about that series, so we, you may disagree with me, but I found that series to be quite powerful and quite successful in making it about the story of the survivors and uh, their lives. And I didn't ever feel like it was tawdry. I felt like mm-hmm. it was essential. And I completely every, agree. Okay, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, and I, I don't know about you, Mari, but I found myself sort of, I, I don't know. I've, I don't know that enjoying it is the right word, but I'm glad I watched it. Yeah. For surviving R. Kelly, right? Yes. 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 Like it was like earth shaking surviving R. Kelly, like the amount of effort and research and information that they put in that documentary literally was just astounding to the point where people finally had to take notice. It was one of those things where like I saw my timeline everywhere. Everybody was talking about it because you you couldn't be ignored. Like you couldn't ignore it. Unfortunately, I don't think this property had that same effect. What do you think, Mark? I agree. So, okay. Because (laughs) I now feel that surviving R Kelly is my benchmark for the uh, exploration of Uh, especially heinous and debasing crimes. Mm -hmm. I wondered, could this uh, Jared Fogel show reach that benchmark? And the answer was a resounding no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Mary, what were your overall thoughts on the documentary before we dive into details? Yeah, it was like... I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Cause like Mark said, like, this is a very, very touchy subject. Like child sexual abuse is very, very touchy. So you have to handle it very delicately, but you also need to get across how heinous these crimes are, you know? And I just don't know if the Jared doc did that. Like I, I felt like every time we got to new information or to a, a point we just weren't digging deep enough. And and I, I'm assuming that's out of respect for the victims. But I feel like I walked away from this documentary not knowing more than I did coming into it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's really valid. It was on our list of, of documentaries to watch, so it, it wasn't entirely that Mark just threw it out of the air right. at us. Yeah. <laughs> we felt that we wanted to cover it. It's important. We didn't want to be like the detectives on uh, Law and Order uh, mm-hmm. SVU where they watch a, a frame of the child porn and they say, turn it off, I can't watch anymore. You know, yeah, it's literally your job to watch it, so mm-hmm. stop that. And while it's not literally our job, I felt that, you know, there's an idea of bearing witness to victims that I find quite profound, uh, like with Stolen Youth, we felt very much to watch that was oh, to, yeah. you know, hold space for them and to hear their story. I hoped that's what we were going to get. A, a quick uh, Google on Wikipedia told me more about uh, the early reports of the sexual abuse that were ignored and pushed aside by both the Subway Corporation and others. Mm-hmm. Go there. Tell us about that. Tell us about right. the failings of the system to protect these children. Tell us about that knowledge. I mean, I think certainly in the past, but now very much we're interested in who else knew 
you know, who mm-hmm. else enabled this? Who was standing around this person and allowing this to happen? And exactly. while, you know, there are people who can be incredibly secretive about their proclivities, 2007, someone told Subway this happened mm-hmm. and Subway said, well, he's not an employee, so it's not up to us. And that was not in this None of docuseries. That. I was going to say, <laughs> not that you would know that from watching this show, but yeah. yeah. It, it like the they I think they did a pretty good job like with the card like saying like this is you know it, like the warning they threw it up there at every commercial break I was like dog like uh, we kind of get it you know I don't know if I needed it that much but also at the very beginning they said this is the first time we are going to hear from the victims did we hear from any victims uh, uh, Jared Fogel like not to my knowledge, and even the the two girls that were there that were the the uh, stepdaughters of his partner in crime, basically, I, like I didn't need to know their whole trauma, but I still was kind of confused on where they stood with Jared. You know what I'm saying? Like I know what happened to them, but it still felt like it was a a, a little bit of a disconnect. You know, if I completely agree with you. Those two. Uh, sisters who were interviewed first of all like you said they well they endured something horrible but it was at the hands of the other guy yeah as as i understood it with the cameras in the room and all that Mm -hmm. and it just seemed like this whole series was an example of build a show around the people who will talk to you and then Mm -hmm. basically just frame it as being something else like it seemed like they maybe wanted access to other types of people or other people who had been involved in this case but what they got instead were these folks that were the primary interviewees and so they shoved the show that those people were right for into the frame of the show that they had pitched probably when Mm. they wanted to make this i felt like i ended up watching a show about those two sisters but more so I felt like I was watching a show about Rochelle Herman. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm not here for her. No. She's <laughs> not that interesting. No. I mean, again, it's like she definitely endured something, but it kept the way that the show worked because Rochelle Herman is in so much of the series. It, mm-hmm. it, it's like the series is implying that Rochelle Herman was the biggest victim here. And I just mm, found yes. that so mm-hmm. distasteful. I was like, I'm sick of you, lady, is what I kept thinking. Mm. Did we ever figure out what he said to her? I know we're jumping around. I'm sorry, Sarah. <laughs> no, that's okay. Let's let's jump. You know, uh, Rochelle Herman. We we heard from her so much, and she had a, a dedicated reenactment actor that reenacted her, mm-hmm. and it just was constantly, constantly going back to her. Yes, again, she definitely went through something, mm-hmm. but we have come to a documentary called Jared from Subway Catching a Monster. And while she was part of catching the monster, it's like, monster, what monster? You just, we're listening to tapes of his voice and it is very distasteful. So if if you're listening to this and you haven't watched the document, just be very aware. We do Mm -hmm. hear him say some pretty repellent things. But that's not, uh, I'm not here to just listen to the perpetrator talk. Where is the investigation? Where's the depth? Where's the idea of, the worship of someone losing weight. Like there was mm-hmm. never any thought given to, you know, America and the Western world's obsession with weight and weight loss being good and being fat being bad. So it was just taken as given that because he lost this enormous amount of weight, he was a hero. So there was no commentary on that, mm-hmm. no commentary on just because this happened, therefore why are we worshipping you know, maybe that's a different documentary again. But for example, let's talk about some of these talking heads. We had Katie Heath, who'd been his classmate, who tells us that Jared was a fat kid. Mm-hmm. That's it. Katie, what, why are you in this documentary? Mm-hmm. Ozzy Osbourne, not that one. Sean Ozzy Osbourne, like you're great. He was the nice comic relief. But what's he doing in the, in the documentary? Yeah. Mark, the talking heads, how did they strike you? Well, I'm... <laughs> I'm glad you brought up fake Ozzy uh, because again, okay. So in case people don't know, Rochelle Herman worked at a radio station. She Mm -hmm. was a journalist. 
she ended up speaking to Jared in a professional context that led to a more personal relationship. She uncovered all of these secrets about him. And then she became embroiled in this FBI sting where she was having to record him and, and elicit information from him. And it was making her feel gross. And that's basically like 96% of what this documentary is ultimately. Yes. About. So Ozzy Osbourne, fake Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> worked with Rochelle so he basically shows up to be like, yeah, th- th- this is a paraphrase. But there's one part where he's like, basically, I was getting stoned at a pub across the street from the radio station. And I saw the FBI go in there and I was like, whoa, that's, <laughs> the, level, that's the level of insight that, uh, that Mr. Fake Ozzy Osbourne has for us. Yeah, it, like like we said, this is a three part documentary, right? The first two parts are really just hyping up Rochelle's involvement and they kind of yada yada on what actually gets him caught and and like you said in the first one we we get katie jared's classmate we get what 15 minutes about how he was bigger as a kid and how we i did like them saying like i don't like when they humanize the the perpetrator but i i think this in this case we need to know that background about his relation to food and how big he was and then all of a sudden he goes to college and Katie again is like, oh, we were at college and we found out that he was skinny now again, you know, and all of a sudden he becomes like a, a, a celebrity and stuff like this. And I, I felt there was a little bit lacking there because if I remember correctly, when he did get captured, they had interviewed people from college who said he was kind of like this in college. Like he was like known to be like the porn guy in college, if I remember correctly. And we didn't get any of that. The timelines were so weird and jumping around the, the talking heads, like Sarah said, were just, it, it didn't make a lot of sense. And it all comes down to Rochelle Herman and Rochelle Herman is, is, is told the reason why she gets onto the case is she said she's, she's working with Jared. They're on stage. They're about to be introduced to these kids. And he whispers something into her ear. And from that moment on her life was changed. She can't, couldn't believe what he said. And I watched for another 20 minutes trying to figure out, did she say what he whispered in her ear? I'm still confused. Sarah, did we hear what he whispered in her ear in order for her to figure out that he is a pedophile and to start her investigation? She was so shocked she couldn't bring herself to say it, despite the fact that we are told, we listen to him saying incredibly repellent things far too much. I didn't need it all. I got it. Mm -hmm. And I also wondered why she recorded so much of him for so many years surely what she had and passed over to the fbi was enough so there was a i'm not going to make any speculation about rochelle Mm -hmm. but she was in this kind of hell of pretending to be his friend and eliciting these conversations from him terrible and ghastly and she felt that she had to do it but it it's almost like did the fbi tell her to do it was she really handing over tapes to the FBI? Because if so, we could rightly say they didn't move fast enough. But mm-hmm. certainly we, we find out that once they had evidence in 2015, they moved incredibly fast and he was caught, uh, tried and convicted within that year. Mark, you're nodding about that part of it. I don't know if I was making that up, but... I'm just, again, I don't know... Rochelle Herman, I have never met her, but there was something about the way that this documentary series framed her that made it seem like, I know this is not the exact term I'm looking for, but there was like almost a Munchausen by proxy quality to her. It was like she was on this documentary to convince us that she had suffered more than anyone. It it was like she Uh has carried some sort of emotional baggage around this experience and she's been waiting for a chance to prove that she suffered. And I felt like it made her come across like someone who was in a gross way, trying to make this horrible series of crimes about herself. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, especially because they interview her son, who didn't have anything to do with any of like the Rochelle Herman's son, as far as I can tell, didn't ever meet Jared from subway. So why is he here other than to bolster the idea that his mom was the real victim? And it just felt like watching 
You know, when uh, Tom Stoppard wrote the play Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, the joke is that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern think they're the lead character in Hamlet, but they're not. I felt like I was watching the unfunny version of that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And and it's it's really it's off putting because she starts. When does she officially start recording him? It's 2006 seven-ish right or 2006 or something like that she she records on her own for her by herself or for her own yeah. uh reasons as we said uh-huh. which we must believe were were right he he whispered to her something like sorry everybody middle school girls are hot uh, she wouldn't say the actual words, but something of that indication. And mm-hmm. when she takes her tapes to law enforcement, they say, "Are you actually broke the law because mm-hmm. the state we that can. they are in is a two-party yeah. record. And then it was almost like in her story, so therefore she was forced to be a spy. You know, this is a great, I mean, I love the narrative of, being forced to be a spy because of your actions that you didn't realize. These are great, you know, Hitchcock mm-hmm. stories, the man who knew too much and all, all mm-hmm. of those sorts of things. So it's not that she was an unreliable narrator, but as you said, Mary, the timeline was very jagged. It was weird. It, yeah. We, like we didn't get law enforcement till late in part two and part three. It's like, not that I want everything to be cops, but give me the, some investigators. Yes. Yeah. yeah so like, so I and and I think it's not until like 2008 or 2009 ish that it's like I, I can't even why am I trying to nail down a timeline that they didn't give us but she's recording him for like years yes. and like years but we find out that they ha- actually lose contact because they 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 can't meet they can't meet up and and she's kind of putting him putting him off and and stuff like that and correct me if i'm wrong they had the they had this failed sting where she was trying to set it up so she's like oh it's my son's birthday and this is where they elicited like the most like really like disturbing type of recordings and him talking about he was so excited to come for the the son's birthday and they're gonna figure out ways to get kids undressed and all this stuff and and they were like if he can if we can prove that he is uh crossing state lines with the intention of harming minors then we can get him here but they said all of a sudden it fell through like he he went from supposed to be coming in five days for the party to like oh no i'm gonna come in like two to three days and then she couldn't get him to push it back and that the fbi couldn't scramble people in 48 to 72 hours which I was dubious about that. Yeah. yeah. If you're talking about right there, I, I was dubious about the fact that a, a, an, a nationally famous child predator <laughs> could conceivably be captured if we can just get someone there in the next two days. That the FBI would be like, mm, "We're booked. Sorry, like <laughs> I, mm, that didn't seem right to me." Yeah, it, it was yeah. weird. Yes. And so because of that, because that didn't happen i think if i correct me if i'm wrong here Sarah, did she lose contact with him in 2010 it felt like around that time i i'm with you on the timeline she definitely lost touch with him then she For became years. impatient that mm-hmm. nothing was happening was, mm-hmm. and you know as we've said before about sort of citizen sleuths the law enforcement aren't necessarily going to tell you about an ongoing investigation. We hope it was ongoing and certainly the FBI did finally get him. But again, we don't get access to the FBI, not uh, to the to any law enforcement, particularly we speak to Bob Hamer, who's a former FBI agent, who only sort of talks about the way in which the FBI works rather than what's happening with this particular case. And in part three, we get some Sarasota PD detectives talking about how repellent it is yes we know that like we know that um, so i sorry I, yeah, so they lost contact go on murray i found the timeline on wikipedia the uh oh, in, in 2007 she made contact with him after the the middle school um event they did and for four years she recorded him and so they they lost contact in 2011 okay. and it was, and they lost contact after he that the recordings of him asking her to put the webcams in her own child, her own children's bedrooms were like you could just hear she was very uncomfortable with that. But we also, if you notice, like when we were hearing these recordings, we did not hear her responses 
because I'm pretty sure she had to say some things that aren't really gauche right. in order for him to, to like respond the way that he's yeah. responding. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mark, no. did we need to hear the actual tapes or could we have had someone say he was asking about arranging to see the children undressing? That is such a good question, Sarah, because I found myself thinking about this a lot. And mm-hmm. I'm going to answer your question, if it's all right, in a somewhat roundabout way. Please do. Mm-hmm. One of the things that struck me about this series is how frequently they kept teasing us with how horrible these recordings of him were going to be. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it played their hand about what they were trying to do here. And it seemed like the goal of this series was not to illuminate anything, but to instead provoke us to feel disgust in order to keep watching. And mm. but if because that was their apparent goal, I would say, yes, they had to keep playing those nauseating sound clips because it seemed like the purpose of the series was to make us feel outraged. But for me as a viewer, I don't need to be convinced that these crimes are heinous. I don't mm-hmm. need to be provoked to outrage to think about what has been done here. It isn't helpful in end fact for me to be reminded that these things are terrible because like you've said a couple of times both of you we know and so to me the series demonstrated its utter lack of thoughtfulness by continuing to rely on those recordings as though that's all there was to hold our attention and there was something so prurient about it and it made me feel very frustrated because even as we've lightly touched on in our conversation there is so much to be said. And I, and I go back again to surviving R Kelly. They found so Mm -hmm. much to say, to make me comprehend something horrible in a new way. And here it was just beating the same drum over and over and over again of Mm -hmm. listen to this horrible thing. And then listen to this woman who recorded it, say how terrible it was. And if it had been a, a richer, deeper, more thoughtful show, they wouldn't have needed to do that, but it wasn't any of those things. So that's really all they had. It seemed to me. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's all they had. If if they take those tapes out of this documentary, what else do they have? Because it's absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely nothing. And it's almost like they're like, see, guys, can you believe it? This man is heinous. It's like, yeah, yeah, I believed it once they yeah. once they arrested him. You don't. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, be- I don't need to hear it from his own words. I believe it. <laughs> like, yes. you know. I mean, we had Hannah and Christian, who's, who you spoke about, Mark. These are the stepdaughters of a man I won't name who was Jared Fogel's business partner or worked on the Fogel Foundation. And it was an investigation into him that led to the realisation that he had child pornography, which he had made himself by having sorry, everybody, having cameras in his stepdaughter's rooms. Mm -hmm. And then from the investigation into that man, there was the discovery that he had sent this material to Jared Fogel. And then they discovered that it had been opened, which is one of the things of like, well, you knew that you, you opened it and you retained it on your computer. And it was that that led to the arrest. not these tapes. So, but again, I kept waiting for Hannah and Christian to to encounter Jared Fogel. I kept waiting for Rochelle's children to be in danger. Mm-hmm. I kept waiting for the moment where she said, and then I crossed over to the dark side and used my children as bait. Like I didn't want it, but I thought, isn't that why we're talking to her son? Isn't that why we're spending so much time with Rochelle? So, I knew I literally knew less about the investigation from the I'm realizing now from the documentary than I did from my side research. Yeah, yeah. I think what kind of I didn't like with with the sisters here 
was that we're introduced to them, what, er, early episode two, something yes. like that. And I know something's going to happen between, yeah, you know, like you said, it's like we're, we're waiting for the Jared connection, but I didn't even need to wait for the Jared con- connection because when they started talking about their, their, the changes in their mom once she met Russell or, uh, yeah, right, Russell Taylor or whatever, it, 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 I was like, oh no, you know, but the way that they did is they let the girls talk about how their lifestyle was now that their mom had met him and how they went on vacations and now they can drink and stuff. And it was like, it was very interesting. You know, they're like, they're like, yeah, it was, it's totally different. And they let us get all get that. And then in episode three, when they start to unravel how Taylor is picked up, and how he leads to Jared. This is when they they do the stupid timeline thing where it goes from 2015 and they they rewind it back to 2010 and they have the girls tell the same story over mm-hmm. but then they're like but it was all a facade. And then they start telling the the real story and I'm like this is this is dumb. Like why like yeah. why didn't we just tell it regularly chronologically? This is this was the only time in the in the whole series that you guys decided to shirk the timeline. Like you 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 decided to actually tell us the timeline and then shirk it. You know what I'm saying? It didn't fit in the rest of the the narrative. It just was so weird and oddly placed because we're interest we're we're introduced to Russell Taylor early, but then we're not told his whole dealings until the final the final episode. And it just doesn't make sense to me. It just I, I guess it was like like Sarah said, it's just to get that impending doom of mm-hmm. what is it really going to happen? What's really going to happen? Because in that that first telling when they were talking about how oh they met Jared at dinner and then it's like, oh, but then Jared kind of wanted to meet one of our friends. And then even that story was kind of weird. It was like. What is happening right now? I was, yeah. I was so confused on, so on like, why they make, decided to do it like this. Make that documentary. Make the documentary about the very strict religious mother of uh, Christian and Hannah who meets, you've named him now, Russell Taylor. She mm-hmm. changes. They give the children alcohol. Taylor is, is sentenced to 20 years. And in 2020, their mother gets 33 years for being complicit in the crimes which was just a title at the end. It's like, uh-huh. that's, go there. Oh, it was such a mess. And that is a story to which they had access. They actually could yes. speak to people who had expertise about that story. Mm-hmm. Unlike the story that they're putatively telling us. It, again, it's just, if they had, it seemed like that they sold the title of the show and then mm-hmm. decided, and then they had to make something that would in some way relate to the title. And mm-hmm. yeah. it, it felt like they hadn't lined anything up almost before they were commissioned to do it. And it's strange from ID because because they can make really good, straightforward really good mm-hmm. TV episodes or docu-series where you get in, you get the information, there's limited reenactments, you know, you go, okay, <laughs> I'll, give, I'll, I'll give you that reenactment, that's fine. And you feel um, informed, you're given things to think about, here it was a mess and then somebody completely unqualified uh, i think perhaps the co-star who also lost 55 pounds and ended up being in one <laughs> ad once one with ad. jared <laughs> and she says you know oh i was so shocked when i heard the news like no duh lady and she says oh perhaps he replaced you know the the food with the pornography so you are not qualified to talk about that hey here's an idea find someone who is find someone who is qualified to talk about early indications, repeated behavior, whatever it might be. Gah, I'm sick of talking about this. Mark, <laughs> final thoughts before we give our ratings. I'll just say you saying that about his co-star made me remember that a guy, <laughs> a guy that I was friendly with in my freshman year of college um, about two years ago was arrested for trying to sell government secrets to uh, an enemy foreign power. And I just thought, wow, yeah, it's like if I were on a documentary about that, I would be like, yeah, (laughs) that he was we we were in college together. Yeah, that was crazy. It's like that's about the level of expertise that that (laughs) co-star. Yes. And the fact that even she was co-star and then you realize it was Jared and then eight other people who'd lost. (laughs) (laughs) That did in a way that billing for her. 
pulls the rug out from under this whole documentary. <laughs> Jared's co-star, mm-hmm. right? Exactly, because they made that. That implies that she was in lots of commercials with him. But mm-hmm. you're right; she was one of eight other people in the background of an ad. She maybe said three words to him, and then she got back on the bus. No, no, yeah. No, she no. didn't. She say like maybe for a year. It was like her life was a little bit of a whirlwind, which is nowhere near the the level of fame that Jarrett reached with with Subway. Yeah. Final thoughts. This series did a great job at proving that there's a good story to be told about this case without actually telling a good story about this case. Nice. Mari, final thoughts before we rate? My final thoughts. I have so many questions. I, I am literally on Wikipedia right now reading more information on Wikipedia than this whole docu-series there was a whole there was a whole like victim who was a subway franchisee that that jared was text messaging and who he told that he wanted to have sex with her 16 year old cousin who told subway in 2008 you know what i'm saying like why didn't we if you didn't even have access to her why didn't this even just come up though you know what i'm saying in in Mm -hmm. the documentary the mom getting 33 years she got more than jared and uh, Taylor, which I, I want to kind of know why. I, I I think I know why, um, especially since it was her like really explicit pictures that the, the finding her like really explicit pictures of her that led to them further investigating Taylor, which then led to the, the child pornography and stuff like that. I, I kind of really want to know what happened with the mom. Like, well, also, was- there's the, you know, investigation into the, the societal that women are more vilified for these actions than men are. Very true. You know, oh, that, oh, definitely. A, a woman who kills her children is twenty times as bad as a man who kills his children. E- that exactly. There is a a well. I mean, we we we're right back to the beginning, Mark. We're talking about I, I, how being a woman in the world is is you know you're already on hard level, uh, and that's before you put in other you know abilities, um, race, I, sexual orientation, and so on. I still wanted to know more about her pathology because I thought mm-hmm. it was the, like the 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 sisters talked about how she used to go to church every Sunday and she was a really religious woman until she met this guy and I at I church wondered. he went he went and found her like we've heard this story before you say go it very church. well um, yeah. about stepfathers and and mm-hmm. and stuff like that and I yeah. I'm just I feel like I'm mind blown on stuff that they didn't even touch on that I. Yeah, I, I I thought I thought this documentary um, used the the name of Jared Fogel to catch the interest, but I don't think it really had much substance to what actually happened to to give us a full picture of of what actually happened yeah. with him and, and what led to his capture and all of that. So, Mark, how many magnifying glasses are you going to rate Jared from Subway out of a possible five? Um, unfortunately, I can not give it any. It's a zero magnifying glass <laughs> wow. rating for me. Wow. That's a first. That is. We've never had a zero before. Incredible. I just don't think that there's anything that's worth watching here because what Mari was just saying, it's so, in a way, infuriating to me that I watched three hours of this and <laughs> what you just said to me that you read off of Wikipedia in two minutes is so much more interesting than <laughs> anything that just happened. So I, it's, it's, it, it is, it is a punitive rating, but I feel like it is the only fair one that I can give. You must go where your heart leads you. <laughs> and Mari, how many magnifying glasses will you give this docuseries? I'm really trying to justify giving it one. And mm-hmm. I am, I am coming up blank. I'm not going to lie. I think, I think Mark, I, coming into this discussion, I didn't think it was that great to begin with. I thought it was maybe I was probably going to give it a two. Now that we've talked about it and I went on Wikipedia because of course I don't do my, <laughs> I don't do any extra research beforehand. <laughs> and I'm like reading it as we're talking. I'm like, dog, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and and I had and I I kind of followed this when it happened. I actually like as I'm as I was um watching the show, I remember where I was when I heard about him getting arrested. I remember exactly where I was, what I was doing down to the minute. I was like, oh my God, Jared got arrested. 
for child abuse? Like, I remembered that. And then I remembered the stories that flooded of people like, you know, of course, when people uh, get exposed for stuff like that, that's when the stories start coming out. And I remember hearing all of these crazy stories and, and, and being like, wow, how did he get away with this for so long? And that was so long ago that once I started watching this docuseries, none of that was brought up in this docuseries. None of that. So all of my my knowledge of this case is from the distant memory of when he was first arrested and what puny little evidence or whatever they put here. And it's just not is not thorough enough. It's not thorough enough for this to be three parts. It is not thorough enough for this to be three parts. You wasted three hours, like Mark said. So I'm giving it a zero two. <gasps> I I have oh to. God. I can't justify. I can. I literally cannot justify a one. I cannot justify telling people, yeah, go watch this because there's nothing redeeming about this. Like, if anything, do you want to hear him talk? Up? Do you really want to listen to him say the words? Maybe that's it. That, but I wouldn't suggest it. You know, it's not. It's not fun. So, zero. I gave last week's property MH370, the oh, plane yeah. that disappeared. I gave it two. You did. And that was not good. And I wouldn't recommend yeah. that you watch it. So I was sitting here, just as I asked you, Mark, I thought, it's going to have to be a one because, you know, mm-hmm. it's not even as good as that one. You've mm-hmm. inspired me. I know. Zero from me yeah. as well. Now, like, <laughs> They called it Jared from Subway. They didn't call it Jared Fogle. They didn't call it Jared. They called it Jared from Subway. So I had an expectation that there would be at least some investigation of the institutions and companies and attitudes and societal protection of stars around his crimes. We want Mm -hmm. that now. We don't just want his bad man or bad woman. We want yeah. to say, here's bad man, and who knew, and when did they know, and how did they protect them, and what did they get out of the protection? We want more investigation. And I don't think it's too much to ask ID Discovery to do that. They they do these things generally very well, not every single thing, but, you know, they're, they're reliable. Where were they? I was going to say, where were the interesting people to talk to? I think the thing is they didn't have anyone interesting to talk to. They centred mm-hmm. Rochelle. No, and we, Mari and I are on record. We don't want to hear the voice of the uh-huh. perpetrator. We don't want to center the perpetrator. And it neither did that, nor did it really talk about the victims. It is a terrible piece of work. Do not watch it. Zero magnifying glasses out of five. Yeah, that's a first. That is a first. Well, I didn't know that my my first appearance on the show would be so groundbreaking, or I would be part of such a. I didn't realize I would be part of such a groundbreaking episode. <laughs> yes. yes, and and having mentioned MH three seventy, I know it's a it's a rating and not a ranking, but there is a little bit in your mind where you go, "Well, I gave that too, so I can't," you know, because that even at least we t- normally when we break down like what we dislike, especially about three parters, we're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, you can at least watch the first episode." <laughs> yes, yeah, so the first, the first episode two. was good. <laughs> yeah, you know, something like that. This, this is, one, don't even don't even look it. at it. Don't yeah. even, when it when it comes up on your recommendations, just close your eyes. Put a blindfold Let, on. Let's talk about some good shit instead. Mark, what have you been listening to, reading, and watching that you would recommend to our listeners? Well, I'm glad you asked. I just last night finished a book by a writer named Lindsay Fitzharris called The Butchering Art. Joseph Lister's quest to transform the grisly world of Victorian medicine. And it is such an excellent piece of pop history. She tells this really interesting story about Joseph Lister and his uh, creation of germ theory, his discovery of antiseptic practices and how it saved basically billions of people in the long run. And the effort to convince people that germs were real is so interesting to me to read about. And uh, she mm-hmm. is, Lindsay Fitzsimmons is, has a PhD in medical history. She's a great writer. And uh, the descriptions of what 19th century surgery was like made me come up off my seat a few times, but oh my gosh, it was completely captivating. So highly recommended book. Mark, have you seen the show The Nick that was on Showtime? <sighs> okay, I'm, I, I, I tried. 
But even though I can read about these things, I cannot watch them. I was so grossed mm-hmm. out by the Nick that I had to be like, oh, got to pull back. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Okay. I think it got, it got, I want to say, I can't remember if it was two or three seasons. It was, it was canceled, like basically in the middle of some pretty good storytelling. But as somebody who works in the medical field, it was astounding to watch. And if, and if you are interested in, in Mark's uh, recommendation there and you can stomach watching 19, like early 1900 surgeries, uh, the Nick is a show about a, a surgeon who is high on opioids, <laughs> like just like most of the people there doing surgeries in the 1900s. And he also, there's also a black surgeon and it, and it talks about how you know, a black surgeon who was trained in France, I think it was, and he comes over here to America. This all takes place in, in New York in the, the 1900s, early 1900s, and them trying to perfect surgeries in, in that time period. And it is so interesting. There is, if you're a history buff like me as well, Typhoid Mary makes an appearance at one point and Mm -hmm. and I I think in season two or season three. And then they also talk about, they do a reference to the, um, the triangle uh, shirtwaist factory. Yes. (laughs) All the hits. It's so good. Yeah. (laughs) The Nick, I'm pretty sure it was on on Showtime. Really good watch. I will put that in the show, both of those in the show notes. And what about you, Mari? What have you got to recommend today? Mark has just inspired me all up and down this podcast. So like we talked about Surviving R. Kelly, it's it's on Netflix. It was th- three parts. And I think they just did a follow up to it as well yes. to include his um, his current sentencing and all of that. It truly was uh, one of those docuseries that just completely. I thought was very respectful to the victims. Mm-hmm. It. It talked about the uh, the things that happened in society that kept him from being able to continue to to be a predator it even featured people in it that i was like sir it sounds like you enabled him <laughs> like you might need to be in jail right next to him you know it it's a really good docu series if you haven't already seen it 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 talks to to some of the victims the victims families it even has interviews with the victims like months apart where they're still under his spell to then when he when they are out from under it it is it is gripping it's a it's a gripping watch and i think it was necessary because for the longest time especially in the black community it was like one of those things where it's like you knew it but you didn't know it mm-hmm. and then when it came out people were like wow like we did not know the extent you know, and so I, I thought it was really good. Mm. Sarah, how about you? Do you have something to recommend to the listeners? Yes, I do. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the work of Aubrey Gordon and Michael Hobbs, and I've recommended Michael's podcast, If Books Could Kill, before, so I hope you're all onto that. I'd mm-hmm. like to recommend the podcast that they do together. It's called Maintenance Phase. It's a health science and pop culture podcast. Um, it debunks health and wellness industry myths and discusses anti-fatness in mainstream American culture. We love a good debunking. They're both super smart and they sort of make you feel quite smart listening to them. They're very funny. So Maintenance Phase is the podcast and I've just ordered Aubrey's second book, uh, the new one that came out in January. It's called You Just Need to Lose Weight and 19 Other Myths About Fat People. Uh, and once I get it and read it, I will report back. But I just know it's going to be a goodie because her her writing and her mind and their, their sparky relationship just really makes Maintenance Phase a top-tier podcast. At Crime Scene, we're eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at Crime Scene RHAP, that's Scene S E E N, or email us at Crime Scene RHAP at gmail.com. We're on TikTok at Crime.scene and on Instagram and Facebook at Crime Scene Podcast. Mark, what have you got going on and where can the people find you? Oh, thank you for asking. Well, you can find me on Twitter or on Instagram at I am Blankenship. That's such a great handle. Sorry to interrupt (laughs) your spelling. It's one of my favorite handles ever. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. So that's at I am Blankenship. B-L-A-N-K-E-N-S-H-I-P. 
And I hit all those letters because even in my senior yearbook, it was misspelled. So there you go. Um, uh, I currently am working on uh, a Substack newsletter called The Lost Songs Project, in which I write about top 10 hits with fewer than 10 million streams. I mm. love pop music and I love excavating forgotten pop songs and thinking about why they were popular. So if you subscribe at lostsongs.substack.com, you can get a hot 100 top 10 hit on Mondays delivered right to your inbox. And on Wednesdays, you can get a song that reached the top 10 on the R&B alternative rock or country charts. I do a different genre chart every week. And it's just an opportunity to think through our shared musical past and uh, consider these very often excellent tunes uh, that have been uh, somewhat overlooked. Uh, recently, I wrote about, for instance, My Name Is Not Susan by Whitney Houston, a fabulous song <laughs> that deserves more love. The other place that you can find me is at the website Primetimer, where I am the reviews editor. Primetimer is a TV website, and I am fortunate enough to be able to write reviews, features, and interviews for that site every week. I actually recently interviewed Zach Heinzerling, who was the director of Stolen Youth, so that's something that mm. uh, listeners might enjoy. But I write about all kinds of shows, true crime and otherwise, at primetimer.com. And of course, if you enjoy podcasts, but which I suspect you do because you're listening, you can find me on the podcast Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, a pop music podcast I host with Sarah D. Bunting, who has been on this show many times. And uh, it's so much fun. And we just finished a season where we uh, did a tournament to determine the all-time greatest Grammy winner for Record of the Year. And we're taking a little break, but we'll be back in just a few weeks with another new season. So that's Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Mm-hmm. Mari, what about you? What have you got going on? Okay, so me and Matt Scott are wrapping up the road to WrestleMania. We are done. <laughs> it has been a wild ride. Um, so go check us out over on RobHasAPodcast.com slash wrestling feed. Um, you can go back you can listen we are going to be on a break we always take like a little month break uh because everybody needs a break from wrestling <laughs> but yeah so go check it out it's it's fun even if you don't watch pro wrestling or you never did or you did and you and you want to come back to it go listen to us we have fun guests we have a, a handy playlist that makes it very easy to watch and if you're into musical theater i i think and live theater it's, it's where you want to be you want to <laughs> check it out um you can ask Sarah. She's been on there a few times. Um, also, I am on uh, post-show recaps with The Connect. Every week, we are doing Snowfall coverage. It is the final season of Snowfall on FX. And me, Latanya Starks, and Chappelle are wrapping up. We only have a couple more episodes left. So you can go and subscribe by going to postshowrecaps.com slash connect. And we are also... Uh, covering Swarm. We just finished uh, covering Swarm on Connect as well. A great uh, prime video, like mini series by uh, Donald Glover and Janine Neighbors, uh, the minds behind Atlanta. It was a very interesting watch. And if you if you like the horror genre, it, it, it is something you should definitely check out. But make sure you go subscribe to the Connects feed over on Post Show Recaps. Of course, I am on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's too like the number two. I am doing a lot of like guesting on other podcasts. We're covering Big Brother Canada, Survivor, all of that. So if you want to catch me on this mic, the best thing to do is follow me on Twitter and I'll post everything I do there. Sarah, what about you? Well, people can follow me at Sarah Carradine on Twitter, uh, over on Silent Podcasts. I'm talking all things Taskmaster Australia with Ninja Warrior Sean Bryan and our guests. Our most recent guest was Sam Smith, the task designer for Taskmaster Australia and Taskmaster New Zealand. It's a very behind the scenes. You don't even have to watch the show to listen to that one. He's very fascinating uh, interview with Sam there. Australian Survivor. (laughs) Heroes versus Villains is in the books. We have our winner. I know that some US watchers are still catching up, so you can catch my recaps and articles on Australian Survivor Heroes versus Villains over on Inside Survivor. Next time on Crime Scene, we're covering The Crime of the Century with Dr. Amanda Rebinowitz. Watch it on HBO and send us your comments and questions.
Well, thanks to Mark Blankenship for joining us, Will from America for the theme music, Tricky Rice for the graphics, and Chelsea Lesser and Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. Until next time, case, case closed. closed.